Thank you for downloading a Jigsaw Guide to Life with Alec McClellan. Hi, I'm Tim Donnelly. Welcome to the program. We're so glad you could join us today. When a professor of mathematics at Oxford University becomes an author and international speaker on the intellectual defense of Christianity, it gets the world's attention. And it should. Alec has a passion for pursuing truth practicing tolerance, and promoting critical thinking. An author and a speaker, you can find out more about Alec and his resources at www.alexmcclellan.com. On today's program, Alec talks to one of the world's leading voices on how to understand the relationship between science and Christianity. Dr. John Lennox is a special kind of person, uniquely gifted to speak on the interface of science, philosophy, and theology, his intellect is matched by his warmth and wisdom. John, thank you for joining me today. My great pleasure to be with you. John, we are kind of Celtic cousins. We were uh, raised on opposite sides of the Irish Sea, but where were you born? And what did life look like for you growing up as a child? I was born in Northern Ireland, but my ancestry is the same as yours. It's Scottish, uh, Lowland Scots. And life at that time was becoming fairly violent and tense mm. in a sectarian community. And I can well remember that my parents, they were quite exceptional. And that set a mark for my life because in that sectarian community, my, my dad ran a, a store in a town, employed maybe 30 or 40 people at most, mm. but he employed across both sides of the community. Mm. And that led to trouble. Uh, his business was bombed on several occasions. It was very risky and my brother was nearly killed. Mm. And I once asked him why he did that, why take the risk? And he said, look, as far as I'm concerned, I believe what Genesis says, that all human beings, whatever they believe, are made in the image of God, and therefore I'm going to treat them like that. And that really left a deep mark in me, and it's the way I have tried to, to treat other people. The second thing that deeply impressed me was the Christianity of my parents was real. Mm. They lived it morally and ethically, but and this was the exceptional thing in a small community where there was always the danger of bigotry and so on they didn't push their christianity down my throat mm. they rather instructed me and taught me to think biblically mm. and it was mind expanding rather than mind contracting. Mm -hmm. And they allowed me to come to my own views. In other words, they loved me enough to give me space to think. And that really was a tremendous preparation for going up to university. So I owe my parents a huge debt. The mm -hmm. credibility of Christianity, the content of Christianity, and the freedom to think about it myself. Wonderful. Now, that sounds like a slow progression. Is that how your faith unfolded? Or was there a time when something happened where God really got a hold of you? Yes, I think so, but progressively. You know, when you're brought up in an environment like that, and I'm now 77, 
your memories of the stages in your childhood growth are, are very dim. Mm. But I came to convictions very young. And one disadvantage of that is I've no idea what it's like to be an adult and not a believer, which mm. is why I look to people like C.S. Lewis to help me to understand what it's like to be an atheist. But when I came to Cambridge in 1962, I was already convinced that Christianity was true. And I decided, right, I will stand for it, come what may. And I made a decision then, and that proved to be absolutely crucial. So I hit the ground running, so to speak, mm. and got involved in witnessing because I couldn't see that one could believe Christianity to be true and simultaneously be silent about it. Mm. And as a young student uh, entering your studies at that stage of your life, what were your hopes and dreams? What were you envisioning, looking forward for your studies and what they might come to? Well, I did mathematics at Cambridge, but I was interested in lots of things, particularly in addition to that languages and so on. And I did a maths degree and I was interested in research and managed to get on the PhD course. And that in a way defined my life because I've been a research mathematician most of my life. Mm. I finished my doctorate at Cambridge and then went to the University of Wales in Cardiff. So I got three Welsh children actually and was there for 25 or six years before I came to Oxford, where I've been for the past 23 or four years. And in academia, uh, sometimes the impression is that in order for your faith to survive, you keep your head down, you don't stick it above the parapet, it's going to get shot off. You know, how, how's your faith not just survived, but truly thrived in, in an academic setting, not just as a student, but even as a professor? Well, I found it wasn't a question of survival. It thrived in that setting mm. because I found that I learned very important things that I engaged in the discussion about the Christian faith, but I did it in such a way that I didn't become a monomaniac that Christianity was the only thing I could talk about. In mm. fact, I've written a little book about that called Have No Fear recently. And I found that people were genuinely interested. Uh, what I did was essentially take the Socratic approach, which characterizes education at Oxford, and that is to ask questions. Mm. And right away in Cambridge, I saw that I had an opportunity to interact and befriend, and I would emphasize that, people who did not share my worldview. Mm. And I did that by asking them questions and getting to know them. And I've been doing it ever since. And I found that it is a remarkably helpful bridge into people's hearts and minds to find out what makes them tick and ask them questions. And eventually they will ask me one. And so the friendship is established. Mm -hmm. And what was of crucial importance, I think, looking back on that journey, was to see that people of different worldviews could change their worldview and become Christians. Mm. So that answered the genetic fallacy, which is often applied to the Irish and to the Scots. So of course you believe in God, they all do over there, they fight about it. Right, yes, I know, my goodness. Sometimes people think we're locked into our 
presuppositions, but when those That's are challenged, right. then they change. I think people like Anthony Flew and others who are classic examples of uh, hopeless cases, they're not hopeless when people are open to pursuing truth. And, and John, you've done some wonderful work in building those bridges. I want to switch gears just briefly to talk a little bit. You're married um, to the beautiful Sally. And what has it been like with family alongside this kind of calling that God has on your life? Talk a little bit about, I mean, how did you meet Sally and how's your family contributed to your ministry? Well, I met Sally on day two at Cambridge in church and we've been married for 52 years. So <laughs> I, I think the crucial thing there is that, uh, and it's, it's a, a great gift, which I appreciate to have a wife that shares faith in God and has a missionary heart. Mm. And so I felt immensely supported by her, by the children. And they have put no barriers in the way of me fulfilling my potential to put up with way beyond the normal call of duty with my activity. So at this stage, it's been very good in a way to be locked down and to spend a lot more time at home and less travel. Mm. But that has been a very important part of life and support and keeping one's feet on the ground. I've now got 10 grandchildren, four of whom are Scottish, by the way, are <laughs> not quite, I think maybe, well, I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. I think something we'll, we'll like. claim for, we'll claim for, we'll take as many as we can get. So hmm. John, I wanted to ask, I mean, here you are, you're a professor at Oxford. Uh, you have this uh, strong, rich academic background, um, how does this professor of mathematics at Oxford get onto the global stage as one of the primary ambassadors and defenders of the Christian faith? How did, how did that happen? Tell me a little bit about how that transition took place. Well, it happened rather rapidly in one sense onto the big stage. It was my debate with Richard Dawkins about 14 years ago in Birmingham, Alabama. And I didn't organize that. It, it was a, a very far-sighted uh, American friend of mine who organized that. His name is Larry Taunton from Birmingham. And once I'd done that debate, it attracted millions of views around the world, so far as I know. And that led on to other things, public debates with Christopher Hitchens, Peter Singer, and many of the world's leading atheists. And I, I discovered that not only in the Christian community, people want to hear an alternative. And I debated these people not to win an argument, but rather to attempt to present by contrast with their atheism, a credible Christian alternative. Mm. And it's been very encouraging to me over the years to see how many people have come to faith in Christ through directly through watching those debates. Mm. I think it's your, I mentioned it in the introduction, you're warm and you're winsome. And that's disarming, I think, even for people who are hostile to the gospel initially. And those debates have been fantastic. I remember all those years ago, there was um, kind of murmurings around within the Christian community about saying, here's Dawkins, who can have a, have a discussion and debate with this? And people were looking around to try and find the right kind of person. And I remember your name was mentioned to me and I wasn't as familiar with you at that time. And it's wonderful how God positioned you at that strategic moment and how that really did help launch the ministry around the world that you have had to this day, which is fantastic. 
Um, we're kind of coming close to the end. Uh, John, I wanted to ask just, you've mentioned briefly already some things that would be helpful, but think about Christians who are listening. They understand we're not called to uh, withdraw from this, this culture because it's so dangerous and protect our faith by not talking about it. We're encouraged to engage and to have conversations and to be salt and light. How do we build those bridges in a culture that can be hostile to the gospel? Maybe it's just some words of encouragement to finish. Well, I think one of the main things that we hit is fear and shame, mm. if we're to be honest about it. And that, in fact, if I might do a bit of shameless advertising, is a huge barrier for many young people. They'd love to witness, but mm. they're scared mm. and they don't know how to start because they've got the feeling that they've got to have a great deal of knowledge before they can enter this arena. I don't believe that's true. I, I think the important thing is to listen to people much more than you talk mm. and ask them questions. And when you get a genuine question, spend time on getting an answer to it. And, and here's where the barrier often falls. You're asked a question, you don't know how to answer it, you get embarrassed, you fluster, and you come up with a, an inadequate answer and the person sees that you don't know what you're talking about and that's the end of it whereas what I encourage people to do is if you're in a situation like that what you will inevitably be is to say you know I don't have an immediate answer to your question I find it interesting but I'd love a bit of space to think about it would you mind if I thought about it for a few days and we'll have a cup of coffee next week you'll never lose face doing that and simple things like that I found enormously helpful, which is why I've put them in a little book called Have No Fear. Mm, wonderful. John, you're such a model, an example. Thank you for your work on the front lines and your resources. Uh, for people who want to find out more, johnlennox.org is your website, also through YouTube and online. There's, there's multiple resources that you have provided which are critical. And thank you for sharing today. It's been a rich, rich blessing and bless you in your ministry. Well, it's been my pleasure to see you again after so many years and God bless you too. Thank you, John. Thank you for joining us. You can find out more about Alec and his resources at alexmcclellan.com. I'm Tim Donnelly and thanks for listening to A Jigsaw Guide to Life with Alec McClellan.